It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. The main theme of John chapter 15 is Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure and really kind of this upper room discourse. You kind of could say that's a theme that goes across the whole thing because he knows he's about to leave and he wants to prepare them. He wants to share with them these vital truths before he departs. And and in this chapter, Jesus is doing that by telling the disciples how they should relate to uh, three different groups of people based on the fact that he's going to depart from them. In verses 1 through 11, we saw how Jesus shared how the disciples should relate to him uh, after he departs, that they should continue to abide in him, to stay close to him, and they will bear much fruit if they do that. In verses 12 through 17, we saw that Jesus shared how the disciples should relate to others, one another, after he departs, and uh, they should do that by ultimately showing love to one another in the same way that Jesus loved them. And now we come to verse 18, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 16, verse 4, where Jesus is going to reveal this third relationship, how the disciples should relate to the world after he departs from them. Now, in the 14 verses that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus speaks about the world by using the word world or it or they or theirs. 27 times, as you can see up on that screen. So, you know, when you have 14 verses and you have something referenced 27 times, you know, Jesus is trying to make a very clear point. He wants to share some important truths to the disciples and to us about the world. Now, when Jesus refers to and speaks of the world, he's not speaking of the physical earth. Uh, So understand when he says the world, he's not just speaking of that. What he's referring to, and most of the time when the Bible speaks of the world and what it's referring to, are the ungodly men and women who are against God, who don't believe in Jesus, and who are ultimately influenced by Satan in this world. And the main thing that Jesus is going to warn his disciples about is the relationship that they have to the world and what the world is going to do towards them, which is the world's going to hate them. And this is something that we need to understand as well. As followers of Jesus, The warning that Jesus gives to his disciples is a warning he gives to you and I as well that this world that is anti-God, anti-Jesus is going to hate those of us who are for God, those of us who believe in Jesus and follow him. You know, the Bible makes a very clear contrast between believers in Jesus and the world who is against Jesus. And the clear contrast is a contrast between love and hate. You see, as believers, as we've already looked at, you know, through John chapter 15, our lives should be marked by a love for God and a love for one another. But the world, they have a different marking. They are marked by hate for God and hate for those that follow Him. And so there's a clear contrast between the love of believers for God and each other and the hate of the world for God and those who follow Jesus. Now, in America... 
Christians have not experienced the same kind of hate that our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing throughout the world and other countries. Here in America, we have religious freedom. And because of that, we have not suffered the same kind of persecution that other believers are suffering. Now, unfortunately, our news media often doesn't speak about the Christian persecution that's around the world. And so because we have this freedom of religion and we're not suffering the kind of persecution others believers are, and and we're not even sometimes even aware of it because the media doesn't even deal with it, many Christians don't realize just how persecuted Christians are in the world today. And many Christians don't realize just how much the world hates Christians. Actually, I've talked to many Christians who feel like, no, 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 persecution was a thing of the past. Yes, we know if you look through church history, if you read the book of Acts, yes, the early church was persecuted. And and yeah, we understand what Nero did and and burning Christians and feeding them to lions. And and we see through church history times of persecution. But now, uh, that's all a thing of the past. You know, that's not something that happens anymore. And they're making these conclusions and assumptions based off of their experience as Americans. Because in their experience as a Christian, they haven't had the kind of persecution that you see throughout church history, but that conclusion couldn't be any farther from the truth. This might be a surprise for some of you, but in the 20th century, there were more Christians killed than all previous 19 centuries combined. You know, we think, oh, it's going away, it's lessening. No, it is getting worse. In this 20th century that we just came out of, was the most hate-filled, blood-filled, persecute-filled towards Christians that has ever existed in church history. Open Doors Ministries, which is focused on helping the persecuted church, every year they put out a watch list. The watch list goes from 1 to 50, the top 50 countries where persecution is the worst, for Christians, and they start at number one as the extreme, and they keep going down to high persecution to just normal persecution. But topping the list and has for a while is North Korea. Then you have Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Yemen, Iran, India, and Syria. All those countries that you see here on the map are in red. And the reason they're in red is because that's under the category of extreme persecution. Now, it's interesting that five years ago, there was only one country in the red, that was North Korea. All the other countries were not in the red because they didn't reach that level of extreme persecution. So I want you to realize, just in the last five years, ten more countries have been added to the extreme persecution list towards Christians. In 2019 alone, there is a 14% rise in the number of Christians persecuted throughout the world. I bring this up because this is getting worse and worse. And here in America, if you have this mindset of, no, persecution is a thing of the past, or persecution is getting less, no, it is rising. It is getting worse for believers through the world who are trying to live out their faith in very hostile countries to Jesus Christ. Now, the World Watch list is just mentioning the top 50 countries where Christians are persecuted, but there are over 90 countries in the world today, almost half the countries that we have, that not only either promote or permit persecution of Christians right now. Right now, in 2020, over 200 million Christians face extreme persecution for their faith. 
And under that extreme title, that's death, imprisonment, torture, rape, beating, forced conversions, burning down churches with people in them. This is 200 million people right now that are believers in Christ are in that category of facing that stuff. Right now in 2020, the entire world, there is one in nine Christians that experience a high level of persecution. You go to Africa, that's even worse, one in six Christians. You go to Asia, the worst of all, one in three Christians will experience a high level of persecution. Right now, another 250 million Christians will undergo some form of discrimination, maybe not in the extreme sense, but still they'll lose jobs, they'll be ostracized from family, from friends, they'll be despised, they'll be ridiculed for their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, here in America, we might not have the extreme persecution. We're not seeing Christians being imprisoned and beaten and killed for their faith. And praise God that we have the freedom to worship Him like we're doing right now. But we do have a growing uh, persecution towards Christians in our country. You see, there are really two main different types of persecution. There's the direct persecution which is what we've been talking about involving imprisonment and torture and murder, restrictions on churches and Bibles, forced conversions. And there's also indirect persecution, which involves educational discrimination, job discrimination, denial of rights and legal restrictions. And here in America, that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing the direct persecution that other believers are seeing, but we're definitely seeing a rise in the indirect persecution towards Christians. You know, one of the biggest areas of persecutions towards Christians in our country, I would maybe title it academic persecution. Every country has a foundational philosophical framework that they work from. In Muslim countries, for the most part, their foundational philosophical framework is Islam. For communist countries, their foundational philosophical framework is Marxism. America's foundational philosophical framework that we were founded on was Christianity. And it was in our schools. We actually used the Bible as one of our textbooks. That was the foundation that we worked from. But you know what? It's changed. We can no longer, as America, say that the foundational philosophical framework that we start from is Christianity because it wouldn't be true. The foundational philosophical framework that America has right now is Darwinism. And you definitely see it within the school system. No longer are we even allowed to bring a Bible. Are we allowed to pray? Are we allowed to talk about God? We're teaching kids that Darwin's theory of evolution, the theory, is a fact. And that is what we have, this battle. And so if you're a Christian and you say, you know, wait a second, I don't hold to evolution. I hold to the creation account. I believe in intelligent design, not a big bang. My philosophical foundational belief system starts from the Bible, not Darwinism. In the academic world, you're ridiculed. In the academic world, you're seen as an idiot, you're seen as foolish, but you know what? There are consequences if you're in that academic world. You know, if you are someone who is outspoken, especially as a teacher, you most likely lose your job. You know, there was a movie uh, that came out a few years ago that's called No Intelligence Allowed, and they looked at, just for someone claiming intelligent design, what would happen to them, especially in the college-university system, they wouldn't get promotions, they'd often lose their jobs, they wouldn't be published. I mean, you are not allowed to go against the Darwinian uh, theory of evolution. Now, for students at campuses, if they're outspoken Christian students, they're demeaned, they're debased, they're targeted for their belief in Jesus. Often uh, university professors are targeting Christians to try and cause them to give up their belief in God. You know, we're also growing 
in persecution and denial of rights for Christians, in legal restrictions for Christians. We're growing in animosity toward Christian ministries and even businesses that have founders or biblical principles that they hold to. I'm sure you're aware, Chick-fil-A, you know, cities not wanting Chick-fil-A. Why? Because their founder has a biblical view of marriage. One man, one woman. Well, we can't have you feeding people in our city if that's your view. Right now, they had to leave. Samaritan's Purse. Paid for. Cost them over a million dollars to go set up a tent in New York to help COVID-19 people. Many of the New Yorkers were upset that Samaritan's Purse was there. How dare we allow Samaritan's Purse come because Franklin Graham holds to a biblical view of marriage, holds to a biblical view of things, and their volunteers hold to biblical views. Well, we don't want them in our city because they go against what we stand for. I mean, that's just happening. This is the way the world is looking at Christians and Christianity. Now, we could spend the rest of the day looking at direct and indirect persecution that we see throughout the world, but I just hope you get the point. If you came in here not realizing it, Christianity is persecuted greatly throughout the world right now, more than it ever has been in its history. And as this hatred grows, we need to be prepared for it. And that's why what we're seeing here this morning is so applicable to us because Jesus is going to warn the disciples of this hatred that's coming. And he's going to give four reasons why the world hates Christians. And then he's going to share with us two ways we should respond. And so since we are in a place, whether it's indirect or direct persecution, we should recognize, okay, we need to be those that are ready for the persecution, that know why it's happening, but most importantly, that understand how we should respond to it. And so let's start with what Jesus shares here of the reasons why the world hates us. The first two reasons are in John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus wants the disciples and us to understand something very important. If the world hated us and hates us, we need to understand it first hates Jesus. And then Jesus gives kind of an illustration to help us get this point. The servant is not greater than the master. The point is Jesus saying, I'm the master. And if as the master, the world hates me, you can guarantee you as my servants who are following me, they're going to hate you as well. If they hate me and what I stand for, they're going to hate those who follow what I stand for, is what Jesus is trying to communicate to his disciples. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because most people, if they hate an individual, they'll usually hate those who follow that individual as well. I mean, we can't see this any more clearly than the last two presidents of the United States. I mean, for those who hated President Barack Obama, they also hated, for the most part, those who followed him. And for those who hate President Trump right now, they hate those who follow him. You know, there's this connection with the person and those who follow and the hatred that kind of goes with all of them. Well, this is something that we see with Jesus as well. When people hate Jesus, they're going to hate you because you follow him because he's your savior, because you love him, because you do what he commands you to do. So something important to understand is the reason the world hates you, the reason the world persecutes you, it really has nothing to do with you 
personally. It has everything to do with your connection to Jesus. And it's important to understand that because when you and I are hated, when you and I are persecuted, it's really hard not to take that personally. You know, when someone does horrible things to you, especially if you're in that direct persecution where you've been beaten or imprisoned or your family member's been killed, you know, it's hard not to take that personally, but we need to recognize the hatred really isn't about us. It's about our connection to Jesus. It's a hatred towards him. And since we are associated with him, that hatred is then given to us as well. When I was in Scotland, pastoring a church there, you know, we had a team come over one summer. We were out on the streets. We were playing music. We were doing dramas. And I was the one sharing the gospel after we did this. And at one time, I'm sharing the gospel, and this teenage kid comes up to me, and he spits on me. And my initial response was just being kind of filled with anger. No one wants to be spit on. You know, I mean, there was a thought in my mind of, I want to punch this kid for doing this. You know, and then fortunately, right away, the Lord is kind of calming me down and helping me see, you know what? This isn't about you. He doesn't know you. He doesn't hate you. He hates me. And he hates the message that you're declaring about me. And that is why he's doing this to you. But it can be hard. It's easy to personalize the persecution when ultimately we need to recognize this is coming because of Jesus. And hopefully that can help us continue to push through. It's like, oh, it's not about, oh, they just hate me personally. No, they hate Jesus. And that's why they're doing this to us. So the first reason why the world hates Christians is because they hate the Christ that we follow. And this should be just a sobering warning. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you become like Jesus, which are wonderful things, just understand the reality, the more the world's going to persecute, the more the world's going to hate you. And this is something I don't say to discourage you to think, oh, well, I don't want to be like Jesus if that's going to happen. I, I, I share this to encourage you. If you're being persecuted, let that be a sign that, hey, I'm living for Jesus. If you're at work and they're persecuting you for your faith in Jesus, guess what? You're shining the way that you should. If no one's saying anything, no one's persecuting, no one has an issue with you, you're probably not living the Christian life like you should be. Because this world doesn't like it. And if we're living for God the way we should, we're going to get backlash. We're going to get persecution. We're going to get hatred from people. And so when it happens, just let that be an encouraging sign of, I'm doing what God's called me to do in this world. And that's just the way that they're going to respond to it. But I think it's important also to note, sometimes we receive persecution and it has nothing to do with our Christian faith. I've talked with many believers over the years who come to me with these stories of, oh, I've been persecuted for my faith at work, and oh, it's so horrible. But when you sit down and you listen to the story, you realize you weren't persecuted for your faith. You're persecuted because you were an obnoxious jerk. You've been persecuted because you're just a sinful person and acting in a horrible way. I knew a guy who literally painted Jesus saves on the outside wall of his work. And they fired him for it, for vandalism. And he should have been fired for it. And he's like, oh, I was persecuted. I'm just trying to spend the message of the gospel on the wall. It's like, no, you don't do it that way. And you can't do that. And that's not persecution for your faith. That's persecution because you're just being an idiot. And you should have never done that. I read a story years ago of a gentleman who was working at Best Buy. And he was kicking in the TVs and shouting out, tool of the devil. 
And they fired him and, oh, I was trying to get rid of these tools of the devil and how dare they Christian persecution. No, once again, you are, should have been in jail for breaking Best Buy's property, you know, that you deserve to be fired. You're not being fired. You're not being persecuted because of your faith in Jesus. You're being persecuted for your sin. Now, I'm sure all of us, I know I am in this category, have been in a, a, a heated argument when you're trying to convince someone to come to Christ, and I know especially in my younger Christian years, more zealous than wise, getting heated and then getting angry and then saying things that are just demeaning to the other person, and then they come back maybe swearing at you or shouting at you, and you walk away thinking, oh, persecution for Jesus. But it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for your faith. It was because you were just being a jerk. It's because you're getting angry at them and shouting at them, and that's why they did it. And so we need to differentiate here. It's important to realize, yes, there is true persecution for being a faithful follower of Jesus, and then there's just persecution that you deserve for your sinful behavior. And make sure you can understand the difference. Peter, he understood the difference. He writes this. 1 Peter 4, 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Peter's making very clear that there's two ways that you can be, you know, suffering for Jesus. And the first one is all about your sin. You're a busybody, you're a murderer, you're doing sinful things, you deserve the persecution. But then there's the other side of it, of you're just following Jesus and you're persecuted. Don't be in that first category because of your sin. Be in the second category. And when you're in the second category, hey, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that suffering. Instead, glorify God through it. So the first reason why the world hates Christians is because they hate the Christ that we follow. The second reason why the world hates Christians is in verse 19. It says this, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So here's another important reason for why the world hates us as Christians. Why the world loves us and why the world hates us. Jesus tells us the world loves its own. So the people that the world loves are the people that are like the world. The people that believe like the world. The people that do the things the world does. The people that live the way the world lives. And this shouldn't be a surprise to us because those are the people that we love as well, right? You you typically have friendships and relationships and, and love towards those that are like you, that do the same things you do, that believe the same things you believe. You know, we're drawn and attracted to that reality. I'm sure for those of you who are married, you didn't just fall in love with your spouse and you didn't know anything about them. You know, it was something that you discovered and learned and, and, and you know, were blessed by. We have a tendency to love those like us. Now, if you love the Astros, you watch every game, you go to many of the games in person, you buy a bunch of Astros gear, it's going to be hard to love someone who hates baseball. I mean, if you passionately love baseball and love this team, you know, and now you have this other person who hates baseball, or maybe you love a particular band and you always listen to them and you go to their concerts and you wear, you know, shirts with, you know, the band members all over it, it's going to be hard to have a love relationship with someone who hates music. And so this shouldn't be surprising that the world loves its own. It loves those who live like it, who do what it does, who believes what it believes, but it also shouldn't be surprising they hate those who don't. 
And here's the reality for us. We once were those people that the world loved because we did what they did. We believed what they believed. We lived like they lived. But then something changed. The day that you and I accepted Christ, there was a change that started in our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is a new cre- in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you and I accepted Jesus, we became a new creation. And that old life, the old way we live, the old way we believe, the old things that we did, that stuff is dead and gone. And there's this change now that starts in our life. And when that change happened, there was also a change in the way the world felt about us. They went from loving us to hating us. They loved us because we were like them. We did what they did. We believed what they believed. And they hated us because we no longer are like them. We no longer believe what they believe. We no longer live the way they live. We no longer do the things that they do. And that's why Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The second reason why the world hates Christians is because we have been changed and are no longer of this world. You know, a very common Christian experience, I'm sure many of you have experienced this, you get saved, but you still have a lot of friends who are non-believers. And as you get saved, you start to change. The way you speak changes. The way you act changes. What you want to do in life changes. Who you're living for changes. But you still want to have those relationships and you go and, and you try to spend time with them. Maybe you go to the, the party again and you're trying to hang out and, oh, no, no you got to drink with us and you got to party with us. Oh, no, I don't do that anymore. Oh, you got to speak like this and you got to laugh at these jokes and you got to you know, be entertained with what we're entertaining. No, I don't live for those things anymore. And all of a sudden it's like, well, then we don't want you here. We like the old you that did what we did and lived the way we live, but we don't like this new you. And all of a sudden, there's this animosity, there's this hatred, there's this, you know, just get out of my life. And it's a normal experience, and it shouldn't be a shock for us that it happens. So the first reason why the world hates Christians is because they hate the Christ that we follow. The second reason is because we've been changed and are no longer of this world. The third reason why the world hates Christians is in verse 21. But all these things they do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Here's another reason why the world hates you and me. They don't know him who sent Jesus. Speaking of God the Father. They don't know God. But that's one of the big problems the world has. You know, if someone really knows who God is, They really know what he's like. And most importantly, they really know what he's done for us. You're going to love him. There is more reason to love God than anything else in this world. So the main reason people don't love God is because they're just ignorant of who he is. They don't know him. They don't know what he's done. They don't know who he is. Because if they would truly understand that, just the natural response would be, man, I love this creator who gave his life for me. It was just a natural thing for us, but most people don't know it. This is something else that shouldn't surprise us. When we don't know things about people, we don't love them. It's that knowledge that grows in our relationships, and the more we get to know someone, we might love them more, we might love them less. It depends on how lovable they are. 
So at first you might think, oh, that person's so attractive, I would love to date them. And then you go get to know them and you think, I never want to be around this person again because they're miserable and they're horrible and they're jerks. And then, you know, with someone else, it's like, man, ah, the more I get to know you, the more I just love you because you're just so wonderful. But here's the great thing. God is the most lovely, wonderful creator God there is. So the more you get to know him, all that's going to do is increase the love you have. And this is one of the main reasons that people hate us. People hate God. They don't know God, which brings a hatred towards Him, and therefore that hatred is also directed towards us as well. So the third reason why the world hates Christians is because they don't know God. If people don't know God as He really is, they're often going to hate and persecute those who represent God like we do. So understand the world's hatred for you is really part of their ignorance. Their ignorance of God. And that should make you sympathize for them. Not be angry at them. Recognize you were once ignorant of God as well. And it was that knowledge of who He is that brought you to that place of salvation. And so instead of being unhappy and angry that the world is ignorant and hates us because of it, that we would say they need to know who God is. We've been called to reveal who God is to them. And so let's take that seriously. Let's get the knowledge of Jesus and what he's done of who God is to them so that they can change, have a change of hearts, so they can start loving God and therefore loving those who love God as well. So the first reason why the world hates Christians is they hate the Christ that we follow. The second reason is we've been changed and are no longer of this world. The third reason is they don't know God. And the fourth reason why is in verses 22 through 25. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, Jesus makes two statements here that some have read wrongly or misinterpreted. And I can understand why, because of the way in which it's written. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. And if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. Now, we'll notice here that Jesus is not saying that if they didn't hear him, if they didn't see his miracles, they'd be sinless. That's not what he's trying to communicate here. Some have thought, oh, wow, you know, these people were sinless, and then Jesus came, and all their, they became big sinners. No, the Bible makes very clear all of us are sinners, regardless of how much knowledge we have of Jesus that Romans tells us that everyone's without excuse because all of creation clearly reveals that there is a God. What Jesus is communicating here is something that... He kind of clear, uh, communicates more clearly in Matthew's Gospel, and I'll read that to you. But really what he's saying is the fact that these people have heard me teach, have seen all these miracles, what that's done is it has increased their responsibility and guilt because they have still chosen not to put their trust in me. They have all this evidence, more than most, because they heard me teach, they saw me do the miraculous, and yet they still reject me. Jesus clearly says this in Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 24. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have, been, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Notice here, Jesus is rebuking these cities that heard so much of what he said and saw amazing amounts of miracles, but still chose not to believe in him. And he makes very clear that if the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and you look at you know, Genesis and see how horribly wicked that city was, uh, the wicked cities of Tyre and Sidon, if they would have seen the miracles that Jesus did, Jesus says they would have repented. They would have believed in me. But you guys, you saw all of this and you still reject me. You saw all of this evidence of who I am and you still choose not to believe in me. And then he says something very sobering and it's the point that he's making as well here in John. He says, but I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon and Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And what Jesus is bringing up here is that, you know what, you guys had more reason to believe in me, more evidence of who I am because of all my miracles. You had way more evidence in Sodom and Gomorrah and the people there, way more evidence in Tyre and Sidon. But you know what? Because you chose to reject all that I showed you, when judgment day comes, there'll be greater judgment on you than on them because you had more reason to believe and you still chose not to and so there's a greater responsibility on you, which brings a greater judgment upon you. And that's what Jesus is bringing up here when he's speaking here. If it had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys saw so much. You heard so much. And you still rejected." And so now there's going to be greater judgment because of the great responsibility that you had to take what I showed you and to respond rightly. But you've responded poorly, and the judgment of God is going to be greater on you because of that. See, the reality is, the more knowledge you have of Jesus, the more judgment you'll receive from God for rejecting that knowledge. Yeah, you know, I, I sometimes think about that even as I'm teaching. You know, if someone's sitting who's in that place of rejection of God, that my message is actually bringing more judgment upon them because they're gaining greater knowledge of who God is. And if they stay in that place of rejecting Jesus, then there's greater judgment because the knowledge has come and they continue to push aside who Jesus is. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 69.4. He says, But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And this is the reality of it. You know, you think, all this hatred to Jesus, what did he do to deserve it? I mean, oh, he loved people, he healed people, he taught people the truth of God. You know, why did they do this? What cause did they have for killing him? And when you look at his trial, they'd had to make up stuff because why? They had no cause for killing him. Jesus broke no laws. He wasn't someone who did any sin. There was no real reason why he should have been persecuted and put to death. They hated him for no cause. But here's the reality. The reason they hate Jesus is not because he's a sinner, because he's not. The reason they hate Jesus is because he reveals that they are sinners. That's their issue. You see, Jesus' life 
powerfully demonstrates he's the light that shines in the darkness. And all of a sudden, those living in darkness, living in sin, that light reveals who they really are, and they don't like it. But here's the other reality. You start living for Jesus, who he calls us to be the light of the world, and we start shining for Jesus in this world. He uses us to reach this world. But guess what? That light shines. It reveals people's sin. And just like they don't like it when Jesus does it, they don't like it when we do it as well. And it causes people to hate us. So the fourth reason why the world hates Christians is because Jesus reveals the sin of the world and He often does it through Christians. As I mentioned earlier, that experience that we so often have, we go back to our friends, we try to reach our friends that don't know Christ, we've just been saved, we're starting to live for Jesus, and we go and they're like, here, smoke this joint, no, I don't do that anymore, you know, drink this, I don't do that anymore, you know, act this way, come to these things, and every time you say, no, I don't do that, you're shining a powerful light that it's wrong and that's why I don't do it, and then it's making them see you're sinful, You don't even have to say, you bunch of sinners. All you got to do is just live the Christian life and it shines a spotlight on the reality that they aren't living the way that God would want them to. And it just shows sinful behavior and the natural response of people is, get away from me, I hate you. I don't like to be exposed for who I am. And so get away, I don't want you in my life. So four of the reasons why the world hates Christians is because they hate the Christ we follow. We've been changed and are no longer of this world. They don't know God. And Jesus reveals the sin of the world and often does it through Christians. So it's important to know why, but even more important to know is, okay, well, if the reality is it's happening, it's good to know why it's happening, but I don't like that it's happening. So how do I respond to people hating me? How do I respond to people persecuting me? And that's how Jesus is going to finish this. Let's see the first way that we should respond in verses 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now think about this. Right after Jesus gives them some pretty sobering news. Hey guys, guess what? You know, you want to be my right hand man. You want to follow me. You know, I'm going to leave, but you know what? The world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you. You know, he brings this sobering news to them, and then he reveals, and you guys are going to bear witness of me to the world. Now, I'm sure that that was kind of, wait a second, those two don't really seem to go hand in hand of the way I would like life to work. They're going to hate me, and you want me to try to reach them? They're going to hate me, and you want to be a, me to be a witness of you to them, and even though you're the reason they hate me? You know, our natural fleshly tendency would be like, if they hate me because of you, Jesus, then maybe I just won't talk about you. Maybe I'll steer clear of being that witness. And so Jesus is kind of connecting these two of, no, They're going to hate you, and you're going to be my witness. And I'm sure they might be thinking, how am I going to be able to accomplish that, Jesus? But the great thing is he reveals how you and how I and how they can accomplish that. He says, but when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You know, Jesus has already been talking about the helper. I love that term for the Holy Spirit because he is such a help in so many ways to us. And here he reveals one specific way in which the Holy Spirit helps you and I. He says the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. You guys, you're going to be my witnesses. I want you to go out and testify of Jesus to the world. How can we do that to a world who hates us and wants to persecute us? Oh, don't worry. The helper is going to be there. He's going to indwell you, and one of the things that he does is testify of me. 
And so you can be confident that he can give you what you need to be my witnesses. He can give you what you need in order to testify of me the way in which I want you to do it. You know, Jesus came to this world that hated him, and he was a witness to them. He testified to them of who God truly was. And as his followers, that's what he's asking of us to do as well. Yes, we live in this world that hates us, that persecutes us, but yet his desire is that we would be his witnesses and testify of him. So the first way that Christians should respond to the world's hatred of them is to testify and be a witness of Jesus to the world. You know, you look through the book of Acts, you look through church history, there are numerous examples of believers who responded to the hatred of the world by testifying and being a witness of Jesus. And you know what? Many of, that did, many of them did that in their death. The very first martyr, Stephen, he is testifying of Jesus. He's being a witness of Jesus, and they stone him for it. And in the midst of them doing that, he is still testifying of Jesus, and his last words are, you know what, God, don't bring your judgment. You know, forgive them for what they're doing here. This, even in his death, he's testifying. He's being a witness of Jesus. And you see example after example through church history of people who did that. And I bring that up because, you know what, being that witness and that testimony is a sacrifice. And it could bring some serious consequences to our life, even death. But God's heart for us is to say, you know what, even if that's me, even if I'm that Stephen, even if they're seeking to kill me, I still want to, if my last breath, bring testimony to Jesus. And the reason that you and I can do it is because the power of the Holy Spirit can enable us to do it. You know, Christianity spread rapidly in the first century because most people saw themselves as having the responsibility to share the gospel. They took the Great Commission seriously. It wasn't the great suggestion. When God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, they thought, okay, then we're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and they did. And that's why Christianity spread so much, and we need to have that same kind of mindset of responsibility to be that witness who gives testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach a world that hates him. So the first way Christians should respond to the world's hatred is to testify and be a witness of Jesus to the world. And the second and final way is in chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. One of the reasons that Jesus shares with the disciples of the coming reality that the world is going to hate them and it's going to persecute them, it's because he does not want them to be surprised and he does not want them to be made to stumble when it happens. Jesus wants the disciples to know what the hatred of the world is going to look like for them. It looks different for different believers, but he knows what's coming for them. And so he gives some specifics, not all the specifics, but he gives some of them. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kill you. And you know what? Those who do it are going to think that they offer God's service. And we see this. When persecution arises, the main person who's doing it is Saul, who turns into Paul. But Saul thought he was doing God's service. Killing Christians he thought was good, that I'm doing this unto God. And Jesus is saying, hey, those who even do it are going to think they're doing it for me, but they're not. Jesus knew the disciples were soon going to experience this hatred, and so they needed to know what was coming. 
And so he says, I tell you these things that when the time comes, you'd remember that I told them to you. And he does this because he doesn't want them to be surprised and stumbled. You see, it's not easy to be hated or persecuted by the world. But when you're surprised by it, the most likely result is you stumble by it. It takes you off guard like anything. You know, you're walking down, all of a sudden this hole's there, you don't see it. You're going to fall and stumble. But if you know it's there, you're prepared, you know it's coming, you don't have to stumble over these things. And many Christians here in America, they're often caught off guard. Because there's no persecution anymore. This is a, you know, a country where we have religious freedom. True, but the persecution is rising. And when it happens, oftentimes they're caught off guard and the result is they stumble because of it. And really the only reason we should be caught off guard is if we don't listen to Jesus' warning. He makes it clear the world's going to hate you. The Bible makes it clear the world's going to hate you. So it's just not listening to that warning that would bring us into this place where we're like, wow, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe the world would do this to me as a Christian. The shock should be, I can't believe the world's being nice. I can't believe the world's loving me right now because the reality is they should be hating me and against me because the Bible says that's the way that they ultimately feel towards me. 2 Timothy 3.12, a wonderful promise that we all like to uh, claim for ourselves. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise, not one we put up on our refrigerator, not one we quote to ourselves, but it's one that's true. The more you live godly lives for Jesus Christ, guess what? The more you're going to shine for Him in a world that hates Him, and they're going to hate you because of it, and the persecution is going to increase when you do. So the second way Christians should respond to the hatred of the world is don't let the hatred of the world and the persecution of the world surprise and stumble you. You know, this is one of those messages where it's like, being told that people hate me is not really what I want to hear. But it's something we need to hear. It's important for us to know that that is a reality that we face. But even more important, it's important to know why we face it and how we should respond to it. So the reason why we face it is because the world hates the Christ that we follow. We've been changed and are no longer of this world. They don't know God, and Jesus reveals their sin, and He often does it through us. And the way that we should respond is first testify and be a witness of Jesus to the world, and don't let the hatred and persecution surprise you and stumble you. You know what? The, the persecution that we face in America here is far less than almost any other country. There's a reason for that. We have religious freedom, and there's a reason for that religious freedom. It was bought at a very costly price. Men and women, through the years, have fought and died so that we could have religious freedom, so that we could have all the freedoms that we enjoy here in America. This is Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people think of this weekend as just an extended weekend where they can barbecue and do stuff, but it's a time really to remember the reason we have these freedoms is because we have soldiers who went out and they fought and they died to enable us to have those freedoms. And so I just want to pray. I want to pray really for the families. Obviously, the soldiers already gave their lives, but you know, as people are, are barbecuing and enjoying time, there are families right now that they're thinking about the loved one that's no longer with them because they sacrificed their life for this country. And I also just want to be thinking about the one who sacrificed his life for all of us. Jesus. And so I'm just going to close just taking some time to pray for these families and just to ask the Lord to help us to be a great witness to this world. Let's pray.
Father, we are we're blessed. We're blessed to live in a country where we're free to be here this morning. We're not worried about soldiers or police officers kicking down the door and arresting us and putting us in prison or beating us or killing us. But yet we have brothers and sisters throughout the world right now that are worried about that because that's a reality for them. And Father, we're grateful that we have this freedom, but we know that this freedom came at a great cost. And I just pray for your blessing upon each and every family that has a loved one that paid that ultimate price, that gave their life for this country, for the freedoms that we are blessed with, that you would just bring peace to them, that you would bring comfort to them, that, Lord, over this Memorial Day weekend, for many where it's an exciting extra day off, for them, it's a day of mourning, a day of remembering that loved one that's no longer with them. And, Lord, we know that you are the God who can give comfort and peace. And I pray that you would do that for them. And if they don't know you, Lord, I just pray that you would help them see that you, too, willingly gave your son to sacrifice his life for them. And that you know what it's like to lose someone and that you willingly sacrifice because you love them. And I just pray that people would come to know you, that you would reveal who you are to them, Lord, as we recognize one of the reasons people hate you is because they don't know you. But Lord, I just pray that we, as followers of Jesus, we would take serious the command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, take serious the reality that the world is in darkness, that the world does not know you. And Lord, you have revealed to us who you are, you have given us your word, and that we have the ability to communicate to this world the important truth of who you are and what you've done and help us to boldly go and do that, Lord. Thank you that you give us your spirit who enables us, Lord, but I just pray that we'd make that choice with family, with friends, with co-workers, with neighbors. And Lord, that we wouldn't stop because of hatred or persecution, that we would expect that, but that we would love those who are our enemies, that we would pray for those who are our enemies like you tell us to, Lord, and that we would seek for them to no longer be our enemies, but to be our brothers and sisters in Christ by reaching them with the gospel. So thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we ask that you would just bless us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.